0: What's up, everyone? I'm Will Fulton, and this is Thrillist Best Podcast. (music) On today's episode, we're highlighting two Black-owned businesses in the food world, one legendary Washington, D.C. restaurant, and one new startup aiming to change the way we find and support other Black-owned businesses. Virginia Ali and her husband, Ben, founded the iconic Ben's Chili Bowl in 1958. If you're not familiar with it, it's one of the more famous restaurants in D.C. and maybe America. A quick Google search will show some photos of the world's most popular musicians, actors, and multiple U.S. presidents at Ben's eating a chili dog, holding a press event, or maybe posing in front of Ben's equally iconic mural that covers one entire side of the restaurant's exterior. Virginia joined me on a call to talk about the restaurant's legacy, her experience with some of Ben's most famous regulars, including the Reverend Martin Luther King, and how she compares the civil rights movement of the 1960s to the protests happening in D.C. today, uh, she's seen the city and the country change considerably in her lifetime, and in my own opinion, her perspective is something we all need right now. In our second segment, I'm joined by David Cabello. He's the founder of Black & Mobile, a Black-owned delivery service rapidly growing in popularity that works exclusively with Black-owned restaurants. We're going to talk about his own mission, how he started his business, and his big plans for the future. But first up, Virginia Ali. Here's our call. Virginia, Ben's Chili Bowl was founded by you and your husband in the late 1950s and
1: uh, August 22nd
0: 1958. In my mind, it's it's probably one of the most iconic landmark restaurants, not only in Washington, D.C., but maybe the entire country. What made you and your husband want to open a restaurant in the first place way back in the day?
1: <laughs> my husband came here from Trinidad to matriculate at our universities, and Of course, he worked his way through school. Back in those days, financial aid wasn't so easy as today. And so he worked his way through school, working in restaurants, and then uh, came to Washington to attend Howard University's dental school. Mm. He'd gone to undergraduate school in Nebraska. But he came to Howard to go to dental school. He spent a little over a year there, had a serious injury, and wasn't able to complete the program. But... um, he has continued to work in restaurants. And by this time, he was working in the community of uh, Black Broadway. I was working at industrial bank down the street. And so we met and we wanted to be married and we wanted to be self-employed. And he thought the, right, the restaurant idea would be a great one. And we'd do what is now called casual dining. Mm-hmm. And uh, he had this great chili recipe that we could put on half smokes and hot dogs and so on. So that's how the idea was brought up. And then we needed to find the ideal location. Well, U Street was known as Black Broadway back there with our uh, African-American entertainment center. And we thought if we could get something even near there would be perfect. And we were fortunate enough to be able to lease the spot at 1213U, which was an old silent movie theater Mm. That had become obsolete because they built a new one next door, the Lincoln Theater. So we were able to lease that property and um, found everything we needed in the community like the architect, the contractor, the plumber, the electrician, the cabinet maker, privately uh, owned businesses right there in the community. And uh, we opened on August 22nd. And the way it, it looked very modern for that time. It, you could see all through the whole place. We had a one big piece of glass, plate glass, in the front window, and we had late hours. We opened at eleven o'clock and closed at three a.m. Four on weekends, and right away we were um, accepted in the community, and the rest is history. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, and you know, you you talk about being um, being open so late. When you first opened, was there a lot of action? Were were there a lot of people coming in really late to um, get something to eat?
1: Yes, yes, yes. We had, well, there were three theaters in three blocks, state-of-the-art movie houses. And, of course, there was a late show on Friday and Saturday nights when we closed at 4 Mm a.m. But there were um, jazz clubs, nightclubs, um, music halls, restaurants, everything. And most places closed at 2 a.m. Most of the places closed at 2 a.m., and we were there until 3 and 4 on weekends. So, yes, even entertainers that performed downtown, when they completed their assignment that evening at 1 or 2 o'clock in the morning, then they head up to our Black Broadway Street, and Vince Chili was open to receive them.
0: That's amazing. As as someone who likes to stay out really late, I can appreciate uh, establishments (laughs) that are open. And you know,
1: and will I I could tell you on a Friday and Saturday night, the busiest time was between twelve midnight and four a.m.
0: I am a big jazz fan myself, and I'm wondering if do you remember some of the people that came in? Does anyone? during that period stand out in your mind as um, coming in really late to grab something? You know,
1: I, I, I'm i a people person and I thoroughly enjoyed people and everybody was just people to me. Mm-hmm. But I enjoyed, I you know, I enjoyed meeting Earl Garner or Ramsey Lewis or Duke Ellington or Cab Calloway, all of them, you know, they were all in and out of that area and in and out of the Chili Bowl. Sammy Davis, Miles Davis, all of them, you know, in and out of there. The next door was a place called... Uh, What was that place called again? Casbah. The Mm. Casbah. Casbah was jazz. at 11th and U, the Bohemian Caverns was very popular. But nightclubs were very popular. And as I said, jazz clubs were popular. And it was just a happy time. We just had a really good time back there. And dancing was so popular. I mean, everybody, you could go out and go dancing. You know, there would be a club. There would always be a little area to dance. And then there were house parties. That was another thing that was very popular. House parties in everybody's basement. Big make a big pot of spaghetti and something or other and have a house party and dance until two o'clock and then you go by Ben's and get something uh, to
0: eat. that sounds great. I could I could go <laughs> for some of that right now. And you know, on that, if if someone is coming to Ben's for the first time, let's say it is after midnight, maybe you know, they were out at a party or something. What would you suggest they order? You know, to to you, what's the perfect thing to order at Ben's?
1: Oh, let's see. I think the the, the half smoke was the most popular item. That's a heavy breakfast sausage that's topped with mustard, onions, and chili. But we also have the chili cheeseburgers that were very popular. Even for those people that didn't want a little piece of meat, had chili cheese fries. (laughs) That was very popular. Chili cheese fries were very popular. yeah, so people order different things, but most of them could just look look at the grill and decide. Oh, I want that big one over there, which was a half smoke. And we had wonderful milkshakes. It was also very popular. It, it was, it, it, and then you just people would just buy a bag of them, bag of them to go home. Oh yeah, you know, they, people would come in and order ten, twelve chili dogs to go. <laughs> Right, and we used to eat them in the car, <laughs> you know, going home <laughs> from the parties.
0: <laughs> That's the best time to eat something sometimes. Yeah, when you're you've been out of, like
1: you've, yeah, you've danced and you've had a cocktail and everything, and now you're a little bit
0: hungry before you get home, right? <laughs> exactly. So, you know, I, I know that many, many people, notable people, have, have passed through Ben's, and I read a quote from the Washington Post that said, no Washington, D.C. politician would dream of running for office without dropping into Ben's. Um, why? Why do you think that's the case? How, how did How did that become? You know,
1: uh, I think when we opened, you know, we really were concerned about being a part of the community, mm-hmm. and we wound up being that gathering place and that meeting place, and and somehow it's just kind of the place to to meet. That Dr. Martin Luther King had a satellite office at 14th and U. The Southern Christian Leadership Conference was right there, and so whenever he was in town, he'd make his way down to the Chili Bowl, and we have an opportunity to sit down and have a little conversation and hear about his dream. And then uh, it was the media used it as their place to get the African American perspective on things during the days when we were a separated city.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: So it could be the new the new um, quarterback for the Redskins. It could be the new manager. It could be something political. Could be anything, and the media would just pop by Ben's and not to see me, but to see my patrons, right? See the guests and to listen to them to talk with them about what's going on in the city at the time. It just evolved, I think.
0: (laughs) Yeah, and would you say, you know, was that always important to you and your family? Was it something that you wanted when you started the restaurant to not only, you know, serve food that people like, but to be a gathering spot, to be a part of the community. It was
1: most important to me, Will. It was most important to me because I enjoy people. And for me, I feel like I'm inviting them in my home. Mm -hmm. And therefore, you want to be, you know, you're warm and welcoming and you hope to give them good service and to make them feel comfortable and happy. We have the jukebox blasting all the time. Mm -hmm. So there's a happy mood there and uh, great food and that always brings people
0: together it definitely does and you know you you talked about dr martin luther king and you know his time at ben's do you remember your conversations with him and do you remember at the time um thinking that these are moments that you'd remember forever and you would be talking about you know almost 60 years later was it was you know did you have that sense back then
1: Not at that time, no. I just was happy to see him and so proud of his um, efforts for the movement, you know, nonviolent movement that he had. And had that march in Washington on 1963, Mm -hmm. where he brought thousands of people in town. And I I felt it was effective. I know Ben and I had to go down there. And we also had served food for some of the folks that had come in town the day before. We were able to bring down, you know, just bags bags and bags and bags of sandwiches for some folks. The the very following year, we passed the civil rights law. I felt like he had been a very, very effective uh, leader. Mm -hmm. And then in, in 1965, they passed the Voting Rights Act. But then 1968, his life was taken violently, and that was extremely difficult. People were very sad, crying about that. I remember the night so well on April 4th, 1968. And the people were in tears. We were all in tears. And then, when you know, after a while, the sadness turned to frustration. And frustration turned to anger. And then uprising began that lasted for three full nights. A curfew was put into place. So Mayor Washington did have a curfew in place. Bench Chili Bow was the only place in town that was allowed to remain open during those three nights of curfew.
2: Mm.
1: It was a little bit scary because there was a lot going on outside. Sure. And then the neighborhood was literally destroyed. The businesses never reopened. And there were some large, very large businesses in the area, like the Safeway, uh, um, CP Telephone Company, Smith Stories, that were big businesses as well as our smaller ones. And then, you know, when it didn't reopen, the middle class began to move away because now we're integrated. Mm
2: -hmm.
1: And uh, it took a downhill turn for a very long time, 20 years, actually. Then they built the subway system in 19, started that in 1988. And because there were only three surviving businesses in the immediate vicinity, they dug up the entire street. The entire Black Broadway street was 65 feet deep. A hole 65 feet deep. That was really hard. No transportation out on that street at all. Wow. Until they've completed that. But then it opened in 1992 and uh, all the new businesses came in and fancy apartment up the street and a beautiful condominium behind us. That's very expensive. As a matter of fact, I heard one unit was sold, I believe, last year or year before for 1.3. So uh, we are now a thriving new community.
0: Yeah, it it you've just I mean obviously, but you've really seen the area just change before your eyes, and and you've just stayed in the same location, right?
1: Yes, well, you know, I always had the feeling that this is the nation's capital, mm-hmm. and this has got to come back. You know, I just didn't think it would take twenty years.
0: Right, of course. So you know, and it the the restaurant has been through a lot, and and you've seen so so many changes. Um, I think it's hard not to see some similarities between what happened in the 60s and what's happening right now. So, for perspective, as someone who's lived through both eras and has been a business owner in Washington for so long, do you also see the similarities? What what feels the same to you and and what maybe feels a little different?
1: Well, I'm very saddened to see that our young sons and daughters are out here still fighting for what we fought for more than 50 years ago, basic human rights, basic human rights. We're still fighting for that. We fought for that back there. So that's a very big similarity. I think that uh, the difference is we had that, you know, strong leadership in Dr. King and Dr. Lowry and Jesse Jackson and all of those. But today I'm impressed because the young people are doing it on their very own. Mm -hmm. Their conscience and their heart is taking them to the streets. Because they know that this is not the right way to be. And not only that, but look at the diversity. And look where it is. It's in Washington. It's in Philadelphia. It's all over the country. It's all over the world. It's a. I mean, I am really impressed with that. I think that uh, this has to have an impact. Right. This has to have an impact to get some kind of uh, basic human rights laws um, taking place. and. I think they're being persistent, and I think that's a good thing. The nonviolent ones are wonderful. We don't have that much violence every now and then. I think we have some agitation.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: But
1: basically, those young people that are out there doing that are serious about wanting change.
0: You know, definitely. I I live in Brooklyn, and over the past few weeks, I've, I've gone to um, a lot of demonstrations, a lot of protests, and it's it's been really positive. And eye-opening and inspiring for me, and um, I, I think that everything you said is is very true. Yeah.
1: Yes, the, the, the difficult part for them right now, I think, is the pandemic. You mm-hmm. know, that's um, you know, it's, interfe- it's big interference because who knows where that's going? We don't. You know, we just don't know uh, what the new normal will be or when it will be or if it will be.
0: Mm-hmm. Exactly.
1: Well, I'm sure it will be because I'm. A- I believe in being optimistic and uh, I think this too shall pass. We just have to uh, bear it and be safe, you know, wear our masks, keep our social distancing and respect and love each other and hope it goes away
0: soon. Of course. And, you know, talking about the pandemic and this, uh, that, you know, it feels like so long ago since that, that has started and, and there's been so much that has gone on since then. Um, how, how has Ben's fared during the pandemic? You know, how is your business? How's your business done, and, and how have you managed to survive?
1: Well, it's it's certainly way way down. We have my um, our, the good thing for me is that we have three sons that joined us in the business to carry on our little legacy, mm-hmm. and they have their wives with them, and they've opened up other chili bowls around. They're closed now. Only the original one is open, and I think they did open the one on h street a couple of weeks, weeks ago, for mostly weekends. And because the mayor uh, has it, have us in phase one, there is some outdoor seating permitted. Mm-hmm. And she did um, graciously let us use the alley next to the original chili bowl for some seating outside. So we're doing the best we can. It's, it's a challenge every day. We take it one day at a time. The business is down like you wouldn't believe, we did have a really busy springtime plan because we had reservations for groups coming all from all over the country, eighth graders and tourists from all over the country and all over the world. We had tourists coming, and we had—you should see that schedule.
2: Mm-hmm. How
1: many of them were coming? And that was done all the way up to June for sure. And uh, all of that, of course, couldn't happen. Right. So we're doing the best we can. And, and I have to say that we have had an amazing support and outpouring of love from our community and from all over this country. I've gotten letters, I get checks, I get money orders and good wishes. And, and those people that send their checks, um, we were able to take that money and turn it into doing lunch for um, medical staff at Howard University Hospital and at the hospital center. So we've been able to at least do that, but they have provided us with uh, um, food, the, the funds to do that. And last Saturday, Saturday before last, we served uh, meals to four hundred and fifty protesters.
0: That's amazing. That's that's yeah. so cool. Uh, and do you still feel like that sense of community that you wanted to, you know, represent and and, and provide that that still well, lives on today?
1: I think it's it's more prevalent with my younger kids because they're they the people that are in business they are their age and not my age
2: mm-hmm.
1: yeah <laughs> i'll be I'm almost eighty seven but you know and I'm mom, everybody that comes in the door after they've met me for ten minutes call me mom, mm-hmm. and so the staff does as well, but I'm sure that my children probably have that feeling that they would know all the other business owners and the people that because they're they are great deal more than I am now. Right. Unfortunately, I like being there. I used to go every day until the pandemic came into town. For sure, yeah. Yeah, I think people see us still as a a community place. Although the the residents have changed, we still have that um, feeling of we know we can depend on Benz. We know we can go to Benz if we need help. We know Benz is going to be open. We're always
0: open. And that's important. I I know that for me, just the places that I love to eat at, especially places that have been around for so long, seeing them still open and being able to eat the foods that I like, it, it really does mean a lot to me. And I think it means a lot to the neighborhood, too, no matter where you are. Uh, yeah, I hope so. I think so, too.
1: I know it means a lot to me, especially if I want to go someplace, I want to know that they're going to be there. Yeah. I don't like those places that, you know, just close up for any little reason. So we struggle to stay open, but we're going to continue to do that.
0: And that's great. Um, People can still, you know, grab something to eat on the car, (laughs) on the car ride home. That's it.
1: Exactly. Exactly.
0: Uh, You know, Virginia, what what would be your advice to young people starting their own business? Maybe particularly Black business owners right now on navigating the political climate and the pandemic and everything. And you know, just overall, it's so hard to start and own a restaurant anyway. So you know, what would be some words of wisdom that you'd like to... Well,
1: you know, I mean, you've got to find a need, I guess, to fill the need. You can't put another restaurant on U Street. We have plenty already. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but should you find a location that you think is ideal, that has that has the kind of transportation, the kind of people in and out um, of the community, and, and it's easier for you to get to, then you find that place. And, and uh, you know that you're obviously offering a great product, And the service has to be the way you'd like to be served. You have to, um, you know, make sure that you're giving people what you would like to have. And I think that that warmth and that welcoming, making it feel like home is important. But more importantly, enjoy what you do. And most of all, you simply believe in yourself and what you're doing and you just endure. You just don't give up. If you believe in what you're doing and you know it's a great product and you've got a great location, you simply don't give
0: up. I think that's great advice for everyone, especially right now. And, uh, you know, I, I I said this before and I'll, I'll say it a million times. I just I appreciate your time so much. It's, it's truly, you know, talking to you has been one of um, the coolest and, you know, I think the most rewarding things I've ever done on this so I really oh, appreciate
1: it oh, well well
0: <laughs> I'm sorry it's true
1: <laughs> thank you well that's very kind of you thank you so much
0: well it's, it's the truth so you know thank you so much and I look forward to visiting Ben's one day myself
1: uh, I hope so and kind of you know you have this number let us know I'd like to be there when you come
0: <laughs> I certainly will so thank you so much okay. Virginia I really appreciate your it. so
1: welcome. All right. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye.
0: Bye. All right, we're going to take a quick break, but when we get back, my call with David Cabello, founder of Black & Mobile. So, David, can you start off by telling us what Black & Mobile does? Uh, You know, what's your mission?
3: Yeah, Black & Mobile is uh, the first Black-owned food delivery service in the country to exclusively deliver for Black-owned restaurants. So, we really just try to highlight the underrepresented businesses in the community, those that don't get enough support, enough customers, enough orders. And, you know, we also want to hire uh, the community. You know, uh, black people in general just have a high unemployment rate. Uh, We don't have too many good jobs. So that's what I really want to do is be able to create a flexible, well-paying job for the community and also highlight those businesses that are just far often overlooked and just not supported enough.
0: Right. And so, so right now, the cities you're operating in, you're, you're in Philadelphia, which are you from Philadelphia?
3: Yeah, I'm from the Philadelphia area. I've lived in Philadelphia for over 10 years. And I'm not born in Philadelphia, but I'm born in like Bucks County. It's like right near Philadelphia, but it's not in Philadelphia. But um, I've lived in Philly for over 10 years.
0: I know about Bucks County. New Hope is a cool town. I, I grew up in New Jersey, so right across the border.
3: Oh, all right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right, yep. right near New Jersey. I got people. My peoples are from Trenton.
0: Yeah, exactly. Uh, so, so you're, you're in Philly, uh, and you're also in Detroit, and you're expanding to Atlanta right now, is that correct? Correct,
3: yes. I'm in Detroit. I launched there two weeks before the pandemic, March 1st, and then I'm going to Atlanta next month.
0: That's awesome. And you know, you, you kind of touched on this um, by explaining what Black & Mobile does, but what motivated you to start this company, and, and when did you start the company?
3: Yeah, so, um, you know, what really motivated me was, you know, it was my brother really motivated me to make change in the community. When we were in college, um, you know, my second semester and, and really third semester, he really just kind of had me reading a lot of books, uh, expanding my mind about the condition, changed my paradigm about our community, about what's really going on and how we really need to be, you know, warriors and help. Like, you know, we can't just allow this to keep going on. So um, I think about, I would say about four weeks into the semester, we just basically stopped going to class and we were like, listen, We're going to start researching anything we can. So we would just Mm -hmm. research all day. Like, we wouldn't even do our work. We would just research all day, read books. Like, we were still being educational, just not on what we should have been doing. And then uh, the day after Trump got elected, we dropped out of college, and we said, we're going to help black businesses any way we can. We don't know how we're going to do it, but we're going to do it. So we uh, we went to this bookstore, started working at this bookstore. I taught myself e-commerce in six months. Uh, The business was going, it was actually going out of business. The bookstore, I helped save the business, helped to make over $200,000 online in two years. And while I was doing that, I was delivering food for other services like Postmates, Uber Eats, and Caviar. Mm -hmm. And about seven months into delivering for them, because I dropped out 2016, I started delivering food like January, February of 2018. I mean, of 2017. And about seven, eight months later, uh, later that year, I made like um, $1,100 in 30 hours. So once I made that much money, I said to myself, well, if I can make this much money delivering food on a bicycle, how much can I make if I own the company? So, you know, I got goosebumps. I went home, I typed into YouTube, how do I start a delivery service? And <laughs> I just literally watched some YouTube videos, I Googled some stuff, I read some information, did some research, come and find out there were no black-owned food delivery services in the country on that level as far as Uber Eats, Grubhub, DoorDash, Caviar, Postmates, e Twenty Four. And the list keeps going on. They're all either white or Asian-owned. None of them are black-owned. So Mm. I said I'm going to be the first black-owned one. And that's what I did.
0: Have you seen an uptick in business since, A, since the pandemic started and people are relying more on delivery services for food? And also, B, over the past, uh, you know, few weeks, the past month, since the protests started and the push for supporting black-owned businesses has been, uh, you know, louder and more visible than ever?
3: Yeah, I mean, I would first say, my first year, my first, Five months of business because I launched during Black History Month. Mm-hmm. My first five months, I sold five thousand dollars worth of food. My first five months, and then and those from October to the end of the year, fourth quarter twenty nineteen, I did about uh, I did about I'll uh, say like eighteen thousand dollars worth of food. I you know maybe twenty thousand, maybe been twenty thousand, but um you mm-hmm. know it was an increase. And then the beginning of twenty twenty one, everything was you know way better than it was last year. You know we did like sixty thousand the first few months, and then. We started slowing down a lot, and then it just was down for like three weeks, and then out of nowhere, the pandemic happened, and I mean, it was just unreal, uh, the amount of uh, the amount of orders we were getting. You know, I had to I hired at least thirty new people just in uh, Philadelphia. Um, a lot of I got like twenty businesses to sign up in one week. It was just it was just absolutely amazing what was happening, and we ended up doing about seventy thousand dollars in April just in one month. Oh my god, so that really. Yeah, it really picked up. It probably averaged like 20000 a week almost. And it just really picked up at that point. And then um, it started to slow down a little bit again, you know, you because know, everything was starting to open back up. And then, you know, the protests happened and the support for, you know, black businesses happened. And, um, again, it just started getting out of control. You know, it got so out of control that we actually had to close three days. It was wow. just too much. We couldn't, we couldn't handle it. It was just too much support. It was nonstop. We probably would have did thirty thousand in three days, like it was that big.
0: I mean, that's so, yeah, that's that's crazy. That's that's a good problem to have. I, I mean, I saw on your Twitter that you're hiring six hundred drivers across the cities. You delivering. I mean, that's so. I assume things are you know going pretty well.
3: Oh yeah, they're going a lot better now. But I want to be prepared because I just invested into a new app system that's going to be just like Uber Eats and the other services. So I need to start getting prepared now because it launches in like three weeks. And if I don't start doing that now, um, I'm not going to be prepared for next month. So you know, that's what I'm. That's what I'm working on now, and make sure I have enough drivers. You know, as you as you as you're in business, you start to learn. Uh, you know the mistakes you made in the past. And you just want to you know improve on that. So I just want to get 200 drivers in the system now in Atlanta. That way, when we go there, we don't have a driver issue. And then, even if the the driver hires slows down, we already got 200 drivers at that point. You know.
0: Yeah, and you know, for me, I feel like the answer to this question is fairly self-evident, self-explanatory, but in your own opinion, why is supporting Black-owned businesses um, so important for the community, even just using, you know, Philly, which is, you know, pretty much de facto your hometown, as an example?
3: I mean, just in Philadelphia, Black people make up 43% of the population, but we own and control less than 5% of the businesses in Philadelphia. That's a huge discrepancy right there, where... You know, it's so important to I me mean, alone. Let's just let's just talk about just Black people in general. It's just so important for us to support our own business because our dollar only circulates six hours. It only circulates six hours in our community. We need more entrepreneurs. We need to support our business more. We know where everyone else's businesses are, but we don't know where our own are. You know, a lot of people can't name over twenty-five Black-owned businesses and go support them. Mm-hmm. I, I eat at a Black-owned restaurant six or seven times a week. You know, and that may be easy for me because I own a food delivery service, but I make sure I put the money back, and then just for other other communities to support us. I mean, we everyone knows we have been deprived, we have been enslaved, we have been killed, murdered. We've been through so much stuff, and yet we're still peaceful people. We're still happy people. All we want is to be independent. All we want is to have something of our own, without being taken from us, or you know, contingency. Like there's always so much that goes on in our community where we just want some some decent respect of like, you know, basic human rights, you know? So support, I think that if other people started supporting us, just spending 50 to $100 a week with us, it would help our community. You know, we're not really, we're the only type, we're people, we're not the type, we're not the type to ask for handouts. You know, we only need some type of handouts, if you want to say, because we don't really have anything. You know, we're, our, our, we're so much crime because our people are deprived of anything. You know, so that's what I want to do first is just show that, First of all, we don't you can you can do anything you want. You don't have to resort to you know anything else but being positive and entrepreneurship and making a way for our own because we have to do that for ourselves because no one's coming to save us. You know that's just how I feel. No one's going to come save us. No one's going to come help us. So we have to do it ourselves. You know, and I just hope that other people see that we're not. Well, for example, with me, people will say, "Well, what you're doing is racist." Um, it's not racist. It's just putting our people first because no one else is going to do it. No one else is going to help us. And I deliver food. I don't talk about killing people. I talk about hating people. I talk about delivering food for underrepresented people in businesses. So, you know, I just hope that other people understand that and would want to help us, support us. You know, we got some good food. You know what I mean? I'm delivering some good food. Yeah. So, you know, it's like a trade-off. You know, you can you can get some really good food and just by supporting three black-owned businesses at one time. My business, the restaurant, and then the driver who's considered their own business because they're independent contractors. And then you're helping us employ our people, you know? That's that's what we really need right now. We need jobs. Our youth, we need jobs. That's what we need, and that's what I want to provide for our people.
0: Yeah, those are some really great points. Um, I, I just want to bring it back. So, people have said have accused you and your company of being racist simply because you exclusively cater to black-owned restaurants?
3: Yeah, for sure. Black people, white people, and, uh, so many people.
0: And, you know, you, you kind of touched on this, but what is your response to that? I mean, I don't really care. <laughs> yeah. For me, personally, I don't really get, don't really get into it because I know I'm not doing it out of a place of hate.
2: Yeah. So,
3: you know, whatever people think, I don't really care. You know, I wouldn't be in business if I oh, well, let me try to change this. To make. I don't really care about what they say. If they want to do it, then you start your own business and do it. You can do whatever you want. I'm going to do what I want. And if you call me racist, don't don't support my business. You know what I mean? I'm not begging you to support my business. I'm not going to, you know, debate you. I'm not going to uh, show you why I'm not being racist. I don't really care. If you call me racist, you have your own personal belief. I know what I'm doing is from the heart and it's the right thing to do for our people. You know, it has nothing to do with me hating anyone. I don't even talk about stuff like that. But at the end of the day, you know, we we could have reasons to through that way. If I was being that way because of everything that we go through, but you know, like I said, we don't we don't talk about stuff like that. We talk about strictly just helping our people, and that's really it. So you know, but it's not just white people that say that. Black people black people say it too. Black I do something, you're racist. You're stupid. You're missing out on money. None of that affects me. Doesn't matter who it's coming from. But it doesn't matter if it was coming from my mom. I don't care what anyone thinks. I know what, what I'm doing. Is the right thing to do. And I feel like I've been sent to
0: do this. Yeah. And it is coming from a place of support. And I think that's really important. And I mean, just, you know, just for the record, I do totally agree with you there. And I think it, you know, it brings up a point. We've seen so many um, lists come out, you know, either from publications, you know, Thrillist included or, you know, user generated things on Instagram that are listing black owned businesses in your neighborhood. Um, it's not always totally public-facing, right? I have bars that I've been going to for years that I see on lists, and I had no idea that they were black-owned. I mean, do you consider yourself also a resource for people to find these businesses, not only to use your service, but just, like, find out what businesses are black-owned and, you know, try yeah, to give I mean, them visibility? That,
3: that, that was another reason why I wanted to start this business because when I started going on the other services when I first launched this sort of things of like this business two and a half years ago, almost two years ago, I noticed it was very hard to find black owned businesses. Like if you didn't know the name of that business or know it was black owned, like you didn't just know, oh, I know this person's black owned because I've been there. You probably weren't going to know unless the name was just found. Like, you know, you could
0: tell some names just sound black owned, just in general. So mm-hmm. let's just say, I'm going to be honest. And I guess a question for you, which is maybe kind of weird, but you know, how do you find black owned businesses? And like, how do you know when someone approaches you That they're legitimate, and I'm not even coming from the direction of like, oh, someone might approach you and say that they're black-owned to be on your service when they're really not, but just overlooking places that you might not think about. Because you know, like what I said, I I just found out recently that one of my favorite craft beer bars in Brooklyn is black-owned, and I I had no idea. So, how do you go about assembling this list? Is it just kind of word of mouth? Is there a resource you use?
3: Yeah, I mean, there's black-owned directories out there that list them. Um, You know, we we utilize those. Sometimes we we'll go on Google. For example, we'll go over Philadelphia, the whole Philadelphia, Mm -hmm. and we'll just zoom in on every part of Philadelphia, look at all the businesses, and then just Google it and see if it's black-owned, see if we can find some information about it. And then we also have just a a link where people can apply. It says, register your black-owned business. So, you know, nine times out of ten, 99.9% of the time, uh, you know, a black-owned business is going to apply on you. There's been other businesses that apply on there, Mm -hmm. uh, Indian businesses, um, you know. Uh, Caucasian business, it doesn't matter. They apply, but, you know, we have to tell them, that you know, right now we're only serving some black-owned restaurants. Um, but, you know, most of the time, black-owned business, they'll just either apply or, you know, there's directories that already exist out there that we can utilize. And then really, I found a lot of them by literally just delivering food. I could be delivering food on my bike or in the car, and I could see a business, wait, that's a Jamaican spot. That's an African spot. That, that mm-hmm. looks black-owned. Oh, i never heard that spot. Let me, let me walk in there and see. And that's another way I do it. You know, I find a lot of businesses that way by just walking in.
0: Do you ever foresee um, expanding to non-black owned businesses? You know whether they, you know, at all? Yeah,
3: I do actually. Once, once I'm in every city, um, in uh, not in once I'm in every city in the United States, and I feel like um, you know we're being represented in a, in a more positive way, and you know we're able to generate money. Well, then yeah, I'd be a fool not to say. Well, Walmart wants to meet, to deliver. I'd be a fool to say no. You know what I mean? I'd be a fool not to. But um, mm-hmm. I do plan to in the future. I don't have a a, a time frame of that you know, because I'm so early and and what I'm doing now, I'm I'm only 16 months in, but I could see that in the future, open it up, you know, to everyone if they, if if that's what they wanted, if they wanted to partner with me because, you know, right now, as I keep going, I'm going to make a niche for myself and I'm kind of going to lock and box myself, you know, into my niche. So, you know, that's a risk that I have to take, but, you know, if I wanted to branch out, it would have to be because other, other people want to do business with me. It wouldn't be like, oh, well, let me start with this one business and see how it goes. It would have to be a demand uh, Asian on business, Indian on business, white on business that wanted to do business with me before I went out to that market.
0: That makes total sense. And you know, another thing you brought up too that I wanted to ask you about. You brought up a bookstore example, right? Um, about you working in a bookstore. I know for me, the two things I order the most are food and books. And I've, t- uh, you know, I've tried to instead of ordering from Amazon. um, support black owned bookstores you know during this period and for me sisters uptown bookstore in upper manhattan is, is a great new york city centric bookstore that that will ship to you Do you ever foresee expanding to more businesses beyond food to other black owned businesses whether it be bookstores or you know i don't know hardware stores yeah. like literally anything
3: yeah that that's the ultimate goal to be able to deliver anything like coachman does they deliver anything so yeah that's a, that's that's definitely the ultimate goal to deliver anything the only thing is you know, refund policy. It's easy to refund food because you can remake it, but you can't remake some clothing real fast like that. So, you know, it, it, in case someone steals it, in case it's damaged, like stuff like that, I don't really want to be responsible for. It, so, I get like a huge insurance, mm-hmm. uh, you know, insurance on that. But uh, that's a that's definitely an option. And I also want to get into rideshare. You know, once I build up, you know, obviously the uh, my my database, you know, of, of clientele, you go into rideshare. share, um, and then eventually, you know, in my am my 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 late 30s, early 40s, I'm going to have my own books, my own airplanes. I'm going to have everything black and mobile.
0: Okay, we're going to take a quick break, but we will be right back. Uh, David, I think you're doing something really, really cool. And um, anyone that can use your service, black and mobile, you know, Philly, Detroit, coming soon to Atlanta, I encourage everyone to do so. It's it's. It's a really cool business with a really cool mission. Thank you. And, and I
3: really I really appreciate it.
0: For sure. And I'm glad that you know you can come on and um spread the love a little bit. And uh yeah, I appreciate your time. It was it was great talking to you.
3: Thanks for reaching out. Totally. It really means a lot. And I would just say to everyone that is uh listening, just you know, try to support a black owned business. Spend fifty to a hundred dollars a week with a black owned business if you can. Utilize the services and you know, it helps us tremendously, you know, it helps us tremendously to get out of the uh the hole that we're in. And, we, you know, we're just trying to be successful, you know, entrepreneurs as well. So if you can, just support us. Uh, we need to support Black & Mobile. You're supporting three Black-owned businesses. So make sure you follow us. Make sure you download our app. we got a lot of good things coming. This is just the beginning of what we're doing. Uh, after Atlanta, we're going to L.A. We'll be going to at least 12 different cities uh, in 2021. And Brooklyn is definitely on the map. So, you know, definitely follow us on social media, on Instagram and just stay updated with what we're doing.
0: I was just about to ask you about Brooklyn. I I hope you make it here sooner rather than later.
3: Oh, yeah, for sure. It's just, we, ain't, we, ain't, we ain't ready for Brooklyn yet. That's, a, that's an animal right there. We got to make sure we're <laughs> ready for that.
0: <laughs> yeah, there's some truth there. Uh, all right, David. Well, you know, have a good day. It was awesome talking to you. You
3: too, you too. All right, man, have a good one.
0: All right, big thanks to Virginia Ali and David Cabello. If you want to support Ben's Chili Bowl and Black and & Mobile, you'll find some links in our description that will take you where you need to go. All right, and a big thank you to the entire Thrillist Pod team for making this all happen Jim D'Amico, Megan Kirsch, Brett Kushner, Emily Feld, Mangesh Hadakudor from iHeartRadio. This episode was edited and mixed by the talented Dan Byrne. See you all next week. Stay strong, everybody. Bye. What are you doing?